0: please turn in your Bibles to Exodus, to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to continue on getting towards the end of our walk through these 10 words, these 10 commandments. And I'll also add, as Greg mentioned, this is just sweet um, to see all these faces. It's just, uh, it's a bit shocking to see how many are numbered among us. Uh, In that other building, we just couldn't. See as we do now, but we behold and we give all glory to God for that. Each year, uh, Oxford Unity Press—excuse me, Oxford University Press—it's lexicographers, it's consultants, it's editors, marketers, and publicists. Every year, they choose a, a dictionary word of the year for both the UK and the US. Now, that chosen word that they choose did not have to be invented that specific year or given year, but it must be prominent and notable, could likely in our day and age be trending on Twitter for a long time. In short, they choose a word that says something about that cultural moment. So here's just a couple of examples and see if you remember what that says about that year, okay? 2005, the word of the year was podcast. 2009... The word of the year was unfriend. 2012, GIF, and that's the, the proper pronunciation, not gift, jif, and in 2014, vape. You hear those words, right? And we're, we're transported to those moments in history where Apple really was coming full bore onto the scene, revolutionizing how we intake information, where Facebook was changing how we interact on this new thing called the web, how the introduction of short, silly, repeatable videos actually can replace words in a text, and even a new vice that's supposed to be the, quote, healthier way to smoke. Those, moments really, those words really capture well the cultural moments of their time. And maybe you know this, and maybe you don't, but the word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. Post-truth. Now, what do you think was happening in 2016 that may have had an effect on the cultural's understanding of truth? Well, of course, there was the 2016 election race between the the former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, and then candidate and real estate mogul and reality TV personality, Donald J. Trump. I think it would be fair to say that that particular battle was one of personalities and trajectories and a little sprinkling of policies thrown in. But you'll remember that after President Trump was elected, the buzzword flying around, it probably could have been the second, probably took second place in this thing, was misinformation, right? The people, it was believed, had been lied to by some nefarious source. The Russians, the FBI, you pick, right? And thus the election was in question. As a result, trust in all of our major institutions, our national institutions frayed. We had now been thrust into this new epoch of our society's history, somewhere beyond truth or post-truth. The Oxford Dictionary went on to add that word to the dictionary that year with the following definition. Post-truth is an adjective relating to circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than emotional appeals. Objective Facts. Objective fixed reality. It's old news. Feelings and emotional appeal. Consequential and dominant in shaping American history. And I think it's safe to say four years later, the election of 2020 didn't do a whole lot to bolster up our trust or change the mood around the country. In fact, a recent poll done by the Pew Research Center in 2022 on public trust in the government shows that in 1964, 77% of Americans trusted the government, compared to only 20% today. Currently, 50% of people say that they do not trust each other. And 71% of people are concerned with how little we trust each other. (laughs) It seems that as truth, objective facts, as those decline, trust, declines right along with it. Simply put, we no longer trust our neighbors. Even here in Sioux Falls, little Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we feel the effects of growth in our city, don't we? As crime goes up, trust in our neighbor goes down. The leave your front door unlocked vibe that some of us grew up with is gone. So what kind of society can last when truth is so sidelined to the point that we are post-truth? a word that is meant to evoke some type of progress, right, post-truth, but what have we progressed into? A society that uses a phrase like, quote, my truth is unstable and therefore untrusting. So, it is an amazing gift and kindness of God that he embedded in his very law to his beloved people a command that protects truth and protects trust. So, if you're able, would you please rise as we read this word, and it's our conviction at Emmaus Road Church that whenever this book is opened, wherever it is opened, whether in your home office, or at your kitchen table, or in a cathedral, in a cafeteria, a former dance studio, or even a middle school gym, we are hearing from God himself, and it's this word for us that has everything we need for life and godliness, and it will not return to him void. That's our hope. That's our confidence. So listen now as I read Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. May our eyes be fixed on Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At the heart of the command in Exodus 2016 is falsehoods. Yes, we can only understand, though, false things in light of true things. So quick philosophy lesson, just bear with me. There are seemingly infinite number of definitions and accountings for truth, but I find the simplest and probably the most satisfying to be called what's called the correspondence theory of truth. Simply this, truth is that which corresponds with reality. So a statement is true if it aligns with or corresponds with reality. This, this pulpit is black, right? That's a true statement. Why? Not just because I said it and I'm a trustworthy guy. Not because I believe it, and if you believe it too, that's great. No, because the statement aligns with the reality. Duh, right? And we can understand falsehoods this way as well. Obviously, false statements are those that don't align or correspond with reality. This pulpit is yellow is a false statement because it doesn't match reality. Again, duh. But who gets to decide what is reality? Who gets to calibrate those particular standards? Who gets to be the one to determine what is real or not and consequently what is true or not? Now we can only understand false things in light of true things, but we need a standard. Like the question Pilate asked Jesus at the end of his trial in John 18, where Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? But he never stuck around for an answer from the truth himself. A basic fundamental reality of the Christian is the Christian claim that this is our Father's world. God and God alone is the creator and sustainer and ruler of all of his creation. That reality, this Father's world, is assumed throughout the Bible. We see that clearly in the passage that Greg mentioned and prayed this morning from John 1. When John, he's riffing on the Genesis 1 account when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and that Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That all things that John mentions there, that in the original Greek, that's an adjective that literally means everything, all things. And the fact that John states it in the negative, right, he repeats it, without him was not anything made, is to emphasize that reality that the Bible assumes. God created this world, it's his. And it is that reality that's underpinned the entire book of Exodus so far. This is the God who made heaven and earth and all that is in them. Defeating Pharaoh and displaying his wonders, that was easy. This is the God who said to Moses in Exodus chapter four, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The maker of this universe, that maker, is the former and shaper of all mankind. And he was not going to find it hard to supply stammering Moses with everything he needed for the mission he was tasked for. It's the same reality we have seen at this Mount Sinai scene that makes it just so remarkable. This creator God condescended so far to speak directly to a grumbling, ungrateful people. And he says to them, I am the Lord your God. It's incredible. So this morning, my aim is to persuade you that the ninth commandment deals in fundamental realities. You are inevitably going to have thousands of opportunities to either obey or disobey this command every day. So will we live by lies or not? So here's what I mean to communicate. Because God is a God of truth, the only way to love your neighbor is to love the truth. Because God is a God of truth, the only way to love your neighbor is to love the truth. So from this ninth commandment, we're going to draw out three related but different commands. One, we are going to say, reject falseness. Number two, love your neighbor. And three, love the truth. First, we're going to look at Reject falseness. We often shorthand the ninth commandment, don't we, by saying, well, it it means do not lie. And while that's true and can be helpful in remembering the the general content of the commandments, that does not account for the full depth of the command. For instance, the command itself, you shall not bear false witness, It, it conjures up a courtroom scene doesn't it? We see that clear in the NIV's rendering of this text when they render the word witness as testimony. So it says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. We all know the scene, right? And I'm a sucker for a good courtroom drama. Some great room Right, that's filled with lots of wood and leather and books that all look the same and portraits of robed judges hang on the wall and a courtroom stage where the players all sit. And a lawyer gets up and calls a witness to give testimony either for or against the accused. And that witness stands before the judge, puts his hand on a Bible, interestingly enough, and says to the bailiff, I commit to tell the truth, The whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. We all know the scene. Now, those of you who have seen a courtroom drama or some other binge-worthy true crime documentary, you know that other things can give testimony other than eyewitnesses, right? DNA or video evidence or phone records, for example. But in the ancient world, the world of Moses and the Israelites, there was no CCTV or credit card statements or dna swabs the accused really did live or die by the testimony of his peers life or death is on the line the entire justice system given by god is based on the testimony of others so out of an abundance of God's mercy, later he makes requirement within the law that the accused shall not be convicted by the testimony of just one person. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 6, where Moses writes, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one is who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the witness, on the evidence of one witness. So the Lord in his wisdom, he understands. Our frame, doesn't he? He knows we are prone to lies in order to profit ourselves. And we develop that skill of lying early, don't we? (laughs) Not long after our children start speaking, do we notice their prowess in twisting the facts, ignoring the facts, downright making up the facts to avoid the discipline they know is coming. Maybe it's just my kids, but... (laughs) Lying and all its variations, falsehoods, exaggerations, slander, gossip, backbiting, and more. That's not a second language to us. That's our native tongue. Jesus, of course, diagnoses us perfectly when he says in John 8, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's our natural allegiance, our natural state. And he's right. We can trace this all the way back to the very beginning. At the very beginning, you all know this, just three chapters into the story, we see the first slandering and lying. The serpent comes into this serene paradise, comes to the woman and asks that wicked, confusing, misleading question, did God really say? Right there, right at that moment, Eve could have obeyed the ninth commandment. By setting the record straight, not giving in to the serpent's twisting tongue and defending God's good name and his intentions and his trustworthy nature. And then the serpent gave the most destructive, consequential lie that's ever been told. By saying, you shall not surely die. Instead of testifying to the truth, Eve trusts the lie of the serpent over the very word of God. And at the very thing the serpent... Said would not happen, has become our greatest enemy, death. It's clear that the way false witness includes speaking. Yes, we have to speak in order to create that false witness. After commenting on the origin of our lying nature in Genesis 3 by connecting it to James' description of the destructive tongue in James 2, Victor Hamilton comments saying, Not without reason does James refer to the tongue as an arsonist uncontrolled it becomes incendiary unchecked it becomes the most lethal weapon in destroying the unity of a believing community have you considered the effect your words have on others whether it be your friends your spouse your children your parents the words we speak can build up or tear down it can, build a, it can build a community through strengthening trust or rip a community apart by rumors and gossip and slander. And we are prone to entertaining gossip, are we not? There's such a strange satisfaction and exhilaration we get when we hear some juicy news involving others. Solomon just pins us to the wall when he says in Proverbs 18:8, 8, the word of a gossip, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into our inmost parts. But look at the verse right before that one, verse 7. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The mouth and the words that come out of our mouths, they show our hearts. And when we speak and spread gossip and rumors, we display our foolishness. We're not in the know We're fools. But this commandment is bigger than just the words we speak. If murder in the sixth commandment is the climax of the sin of anger, then lying to a judge, right, would be the climax of lying to a deceitful heart. Like all other sin, falsehood starts in our heart. And in a very real sense, all sin is deception. We see this all around us. We, we, we really do live in a world of lies and deception. And that deception comes out not just in our words, but in our very lives. What we believe, our theology, which everyone has a theology, it always comes out of our fingertips. Maybe you are prone to exaggeration, hyperbolizing the situation to garner sympathy, Or maybe you're prone to little white lies, whether on your time card or in your homework or on social media, in order to protect your pride and the image you've carefully curated to display to the world. Those forms of falseness must be rejected. But in our extreme, our self-deceived world, it displays their deception with increasing clarity. There really are men who really do believe they can become women and women who believe they can become men. I mean, think about it. In in 2015, the decathlon gold medalist Bruce Jenner was on the cover of Glamour magazine, cosplaying as a woman, and giving the magazine's, quote, Woman of the Year Award. And we, you and me, are just supposed to not only accept that deception, but celebrate it. But we should expect this. Remember what... Paul said as he diagnosed the sinful nature of man in Romans 1. And this is worth reading at length. For the, ra- for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Notice this list. Just pay attention to this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless though they know god's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them I hope you hear in that long list of unrighteousness all the references to the Ten Commandments. Paul's words are ringing truer and truer each year, are they not? So we need to think biblically as we look around the world and ourselves. And we are prone to self-deception, living against the grain of God's creation. But no matter how hard we try, we cannot stop living in God's world. So how should we live? The ninth commandment requires that we reject all falsehoods, recognize the futility of bearing false witness in this world that God has created, but notice that this commandment is directional. So we turn to our second derived command. Number two, love your neighbor. It's been said before and it's worth repeating that the ten commandments are often divided into two tables. Now it's not just an exercise that theologians are just organizing things how they like it, but rather, we get this from Jesus himself. He summarized the entire moral law in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In essence, Jesus boils down the Ten Commandments into just two, right? Love God, Commandments 1 through 4, and love your neighbor, Commandments 5 through 10. But notice Jesus didn't just summarize the Ten Commandments with that little phrase, but the entirety of the law and prophets. Essentially, all the commands of God can be summarized as love. But love is a transitive verb, right? It requires a direct object. Someone or something must Receive that love. And in the second table, the direction of the love pivots from God Himself to our neighbor. The fifth commandment isn't just to honor, but to honor your father and mother, your first neighbors. Commandments six through eight are not simply to not murder, steal, or commit adultery, but to not do those things against your neighbor and your most intimate neighbor, your spouse. So these commands are directional. So it makes sense that breaking these commands, even in the recess of our hearts and dispositions, do not just hurt ourselves but others. These sins have ripple effects and it's inevitable. And the ninth commandment, the object of our deception is made explicit. It's our neighbors. So God's word gives us a command and a beautiful thing about this word is it anticipates and answers our questions and maybe even our excuses. We hear we're supposed to love our neighbor and not bear false witness against them, but maybe you've been tempted, like the lawyer in Luke 10, who after Jesus gave him a summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, asks, well, who is my neighbor? (laughs) Jesus' response to that question is the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus' point in telling that story is that your neighbor is anybody you come into contact with. In fact, the Hebrew word that Moses uses in Exodus 20, 16 is literally translated as the one you associate with. But that word has an equivalent in both the Greek and Latin. In the Latin translation of the Old Testament, the word was proximus, where we obviously get our word proximity. And the Greek word is the same one used by the lawyer in Luke 10, and it means A human being who's close by so the scope of this command can be summarized as anyone within your sphere of influence in your community literally anyone in your proximity even your enemies that is who you are commanded to love by not bearing false witness against them Doug Wilson commenting on the ramifications of false witness says truth is essential to all community. And false witness makes that impossible. Bearing false witness, therefore, is civil war. Warfare against one's brother, one's neighbor. It's an act of violence against someone you should be at peace with. So maybe you've experienced that before, where you have been the victim of some falsehood spoken about you Rumors really do spread like wildfire, don't they? You know the ruinous effect that can have on you and the relationships in your community. Like like Lucy in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Edmund blatantly denies seeing the white witch, community and even family ties can be rattled, shaken, and shattered so fast. But the ninth commandment directly prohibits also acting like Edmund, the perpetrator, the spreader, the distributor of some falsehood or rumor. Cornelis Vonk, in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, says this about the Nine commandment. He says, A Christian must guard against backbiting and slander. Though these two words do not mean quite the same thing, backbiting involves speaking evil unnecessarily about one's neighbor, even if what was said was true. But slander involves intentionally speaking falsehood with evil intention to cause someone harm. In October of 1991, then Judge Clarence Thomas was nominated to serve as an Associate Justice on the Supreme Court. And as per our Constitution, the Senate called Judge Thomas into their chambers and he was questioned by the Senate Judiciary Committee. The world got a front row seat to the effects that slander can have on a man when then senator and chair of the committee, Senator Joseph Biden, questioned Thomas on the spreading rumor of impropriety between him and Anita Hill. Thomas, after unequivocally and categorically denying all the allegations against him, he asked how the members of the committee would feel. These high academics, the the pinnacle of our society, are just asking each other, how would it feel if sleaze, dirt, Rumor and lies were spread about them in this public way. He went on to say, the Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name and my family and my life and my integrity. If, as Proverbs 22:1 says, a good name is more valuable than material gain, then damaging someone's reputation, tarnishing their good name, is worse than stealing their possessions. In fact, false testimony can be just as damaging as stealing with your own hands. And in so doing, you do not love your neighbor. So how should we love our neighbor? What does the ninth commandment require? Well, that we love our neighbor when we, number three, love the truth. The famous Russian writer and dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, while living in communist Soviet Union, he wrote this in his famous article entitled, Live Not By Lies. In our timidity, let us each make a choice, whether to remain consciously a servant of falsehood or to shrug off the lies and become an honest man worthy of respect from one's childrens and contemporaries. Some will lose their jobs, but there are no loopholes for anyone who wants to be honest. We do not love our neighbor by telling, spreading, or living by lies. And we also do not love our neighbor just by not telling lies, but we love our neighbor when we love, promote, and declare and live the truth. And the only way to do that is to know the truth. And that truth is not some abstract Philosophical principle, it's a person. and not just any person, but our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what John, in First John 5:20, he says, "And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true." And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. So in order to rightly love our neighbors, we must be united to this truth. We must love this truth and not be swayed by the destructive lies that swirl around us every day. And in a society that has much declined, even since Solzhenitsyn's days, living the truth has become harder and harder. HR departments really are calling in those who refuse to use their coworkers' preferred pronouns. Teachers really are being commanded to use the child's preferred new name and not even inform the parents. Politicians and presidents really are saying women have the fundamental, inalienable right to kill whatever that is in the womb. That really is happening. And we must not turn away from that. The promise of the ninth commandment is that when we love the truth, when we don't bend to societal pressures that are escalating among us, we express love to our neighbors, which include the very enemies of God who hate him and desire that we live by lies. John, again, a great champion of the truth, says in 1 John 1, whoever says he is in light hates his brother. Sixth commandment is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling for whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his light. I cannot love my neighbor by lying to him. I cannot love the LGBT community by lying to them. I cannot love my atheist friend by lying to him. I cannot even love myself by lying to myself. And it doesn't remedy the problem to use categories like winsomeness and niceness. Yes, don't be a jerk. The truth must be delivered with grace and charity. But without the foundation of truth in the person, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, We will do more harm to our neighbors than good. We do not love them by lying to them. No, we individually, we must receive light and live in the light and call all those who are walking in darkness to turn to that great light. And that light of the world has come. And we have seen his glory, and we have beheld him, and we love him, and we adore him, and we treasure him, and we bow to him as Lord of all. And his name, that great name above all other names, that name given to him by the Father himself is Jesus. So my friends, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, but testify to the truth. And as you do, remember that you, I was once lost in darkness, in our own self-deception. I was once an enemy of God, despising the truth, suppressing the truth in my own sinfulness. And we were all once liars, deceivers, slanderers, just like the rest of mankind. Jesus was exactly right. We belong to a family whose father was the devil, the father of lies and liars. But what we need now is is a new family. What we needed was a new father. What we needed was a family to be adopted into. And God, being rich in mercy, awoke our hearts from the grave, paid the cost of that great adoption. His only son, Jesus Christ, gave us his spirit. So now we are able to love and worship him. Even in this Jim, in spirit and in truth. Our only hope really is Christ and Christ alone. So my friends, love the truth. Love it. Declare it. Proclaim it. Live it. Because it really is able and it has set us free. Let's pray. Oh, God, we desperately need you. Our flesh is, this is not a battle of flesh alone, but of spirit, and we need your spirit to open our eyes to behold the way, the truth, and the life, Christ himself. We need Jesus and him crucified to transform slanderous, lying hearts to witnesses of the truth. God, would you, in your kindness and in, through your spirit, have your way in us? We're dependent on you. We, we look to you this morning and for the rest of our lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.